with episode number 49 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on January 5th, 2020. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got in preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. Oh, that's me. Um, I'm Alan, and I got caught with uh, beer in my mouth. <laughs> my friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has focused me on safety over everything. I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared, locksmith by trade, and have worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. I have to really tip my hat to you for the first-hand ex- you know, experience and investigation you're doing for the podcast topic tonight. That is good. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the research is important. It is. Otherwise, it's hearsay, right? This is all, pers- this is all personal, personal knowledge. Fair enough. Absolutely. All right. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm broadcasting from my five-acre homestead here in northwestern Wisconsin, USA. Since purchasing my first house, I have been working to turn my property into a self-sufficient homestead with an emphasis on preparedness. My name is Andrew. I'm a recovering libertarian competitive shooter and a firearms instructor at Ragnarok Tactical, and I'll be your regularly scheduled host at the OG CPP Canadian Patriot Podcast. <laughs> I'm also a home brewer, and I've been doing that for five years, which is, I think, why I've been invited on the show. Well, we just like your beard. It's majestic. It well, <laughs> and other reasons, of course, yeah. <laughs> if you want to help support the, support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, please buy a t-shirt. Uh, Eric, you're showing one off right now, aren't you? Uh, Fantastic yeah. t-shirt. I've got one. I've got one in stealth mode here. It's it's hard uh, to see, but uh, <laughs> the upset is. <laughs> you can get those t-shirts at RapidSurvival.com. All proceeds from sales keep the uh, lights on, the backup f- generator fueled. All right. If you enjoyed the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Podcast, and you can submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, and even if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right. So we've got some uh, intoxicating content for you in this episode. We're going to start yeah. off with uh, some preparedness-related uh, articles. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode, and we're going to get into the main topic of this episode, being uh, off-grid alcohol production. Let's move into some news. Alan, got some articles? Um, the, the article that I put up here is um, sh- something that should be of shock to nobody, uh, unless you are living under some kind of rock and do not have access to any news source at all. Uh, you know that the, um, the U.S. Uh, dropped a bomb on an Iranian Iran- general last weekend. Last week at some point, and since then tensions have escalated a little bit. There's been some retaliation, some protests. There's a little bit, a little bit of back and forth, and uh, this post comes from the Financial Times, um, showing that Iran is backing uh, cyber attacks on U.S. interests. So far, they say that it's only attacked private sector, and that they can't launch any kind of major attack on um, public grid. Uh, public grid controls, so your your water and power are likely safe for now, but uh, it likely means that if they go further, they might be able to disrupt banking or um, things like that. So not a bad idea probably to stock up on fuel, food, and cash 
Um, I mean, if mm-hmm. you know, this is probably this probably shouldn't be your trigger to do that. But if you have been listening to us and put this off, uh, now is a good time to to have a, a few days worth of uh, a few days worth of things on hand, just in case things go down. Um, it might take a little bit of time to get everything back up in order. Also, keep a really good look, really good eye on your bank accounts for the next little bit. Yeah, everything's all uh, interconnected now, right? So mm-hmm. they want to, they want to launch an attack if they've got the capability. Well, mm-hmm. they can. Yeah, yep. I had an article from uh, it was actually the DHS Department of Homeland Security. They issued a uh, was a where am I at here? Oh, I lost my spot now. All right, here we go. DHS Department of Homeland Security issued a National Terrorism Advisory Bulletin on January fourth. Um, so detailing, uh, they said Iranian later- leadership and several affiliated violent extremist organizations publicly stated they intend to retaliate against the United States um, due to that uh, bombing that took out their um, their uh, revolutionary leader. Um, they said at this time we have no information indicating a specific credible threat to the homeland. Iran and its partners have demonstrated the intent and capability to conduct operations in the United States. Um, previous plots include, among other things, scouting and planning against infrastructure targets and cyber-enabled attacks. Um, so they're warning us to also be prepared for cyber disruptions, suspicious emails, network delays. So uh, like Alan was saying, make sure you pull out some cash maybe, make sure your tank's full, uh, fill up the extra gas cans, all that basic stuff. Now's a good time to make sure you're you're keeping up with it. So, Yeah, it's good to think about. Well, think everybody uh, plans for the cyber attack angle of things. It's still a, a relatively new thing, so right. it's good to, to keep that in mind and think about it. Because if uh, if they decide to attack those kinds of systems, well, we rely on them every day. So, mm-hmm. if you go back about what fifteen episodes or so, you can hear Eric uh, geeking out about how to do that properly. <laughs> yep, I yeah, did the the cybersecurity episode. So, a good one to brush up on if uh, if you want some info there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For myself, I've got a news article here. Uh, it's out of Halifax. And it's in regards to uh, the Canadian Red Cross and uh, just saying, uh, giving you a few things that you can maybe do for New Year's resolution in regards to uh, preparing or, or getting your preparedness uh, set up a little bit more robust. So they, they list off things like creating an emergency plan and a kit, uh, downloading the Canadian Red Cross Be Ready app, uh, taking a first aid course. Uh, hey, that's a good idea. Look at that. Uh, and then... Um, Signing up for swimming lessons, all kinds of little things, but uh, some things that you can maybe add to your uh, your resolutions if uh, you haven't already failed to uh, to meet them, or you've decided to just throw them out the window because uh, it is the fifth already. So, and guys, I, just a sidebar on that: the, that app is actually pretty um, pretty incredible. I, it's something that I promote each and every class that I teach. Um, it's a great, it's an offline app, and it's a great reference for um, what do I do if because. You know, my, most people out there, they take first aid every three years because they have to and they don't think about it afterwards. Um, but if you're ever in a situation where you're not sure uh, what to do, it will refresh you. Uh, if you ever happen to be exceptionally bored, uh, there are some, like, quizzes and good stuff on there. Uh, there's definitely some preparing for emergency information on there. It's pretty low level, but it's, it's enough to keep you alive. Uh, but I think the coolest thing, especially if you travel, um, there's actually an audio file uh, for each country alphabetically about how to call for help and how to ask for a how to ask for an ambulance and tell them your location in their native in the native language. Oh, neat! So, so what you know? So, if you happen to be traveling wherever you are in the world, uh, you can look by you know alphabetically by country, 
what is the what is the emergency number to get help and how do you ask for an ambulance? Huh. So well, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing about that app. And it's totally free. And like I said, it's totally <clears> offline. So hopefully the traveling prepper is listening to that one. There yes, you go. That's the uh, the Be Ready app by uh, Red Cross. Yep. I do have to kind of giggle how the you know the Red Cross is recommending you take a first aid course. It's kind of like a tire salesman telling you need winter tires. <laughs> so fun fact: the Red Cross, the Red Cross doesn't actually teach first aid anymore. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's all it's all done through it's all done through third parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so they so so the Red Cross actually is is just they're promoting it because they uh, because it makes life easier. Um, but it's true. I mean, everybody should know first aid. And yeah, I no, I could for days about that. But yeah, not not that I disagree with it. But I just kind of thought it was kind of funny. But yeah, yeah. swimming and lessons also, too. Yeah. <laughs> Never a bad idea to take swimming lessons. If you don't know how to swim no. by now, it's probably a Darwin thing at this point. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. So I had a uh, quick news article as well uh, from the Washington Post uh, that uh, is about Venezuela once again. So uh, President Maduro decided to uh, take some semi trucks and some blockades and block off a six lane highway because he didn't want international food aid coming into his country because he says people aren't beggars. So even though he's people starving to death and eating zoo animals because they're out of food, um, he's refusing international aid. Huh. That's yeah. all of them. Yeah. So like I said uh, in the show notes there, nothing says dictatorship quite like allowing your people to starve just to preserve your own pride. Yep. You know, yeah. I bet I bet if he took a poll of the people, they would have a different tune. Yeah, they, they might actually want that food. I'm just yep. thinking. Just maybe. <laughs> all the more reason to stock, uh, stockpile your own food. Anyway, yep. I didn't leave a spot for you, Andrew, but did you want to? Is there anything you want to throw in there? Oh, oh, Andrew's muted. Oh, and I had a really witty retort too. (laughs) (laughs) No, all right, cool. That's why you're here. That's right. We need the dry humor. Come on now. (laughs) The, The biting sarcasm. Come on. And uh, Tyler, you already covered your off with DHS, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I won't get too much. All right. <clears throat> so we'll move into what we've what we've done lately for our preps. Then, uh, for myself, because um, I missed that uh, section of the last episode because my little guy was screaming all the way through it. Uh, I walked around the property prior to the uh, the ice storm that we were supposedly going to get here that turned into a little bit of freezing rain, but nothing crazy. Uh, but they were forecasting it to be quite the nastiest of uh, of storms, but. Uh, so I walked around, moved a few things uh, away from the tree lines, uh, checked the generator, make sure that the oil was good, uh, everything was fine there. Uh, I took down the wire antenna for the ham radio, uh, just because a whole bunch of freezing rain on it would not be good. Uh, didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot, because I've already got my plan in place and everything was pretty much set up. Just a couple of little housekeeping things prior to, we sat down, uh, ready to hunker down for a couple of days or a week if we had to, and uh, it rained, froze a little bit, and then uh, melted. So, yeah, well. It's all for naught, but it is what it is. Uh, and then started uh, meal prepping. So it was a New Year's resolution that uh, myself and my wife had. Um, so we actually started today. And we've got a, uh, a freezer full of at least two weeks of uh, pre-made meals ready to go. And uh, yeah, so no rush. That's another episode all, of it, all into itself. Oh, it was uh, quite the feat. It was a couple hours today of just packing stuff and getting stuff ready. And all we got to do now is throw it in the slow cooker or throw it in the Instapot, hit the button, and uh, we've got dinner. So. It makes life so much so much better. Right? Mm-hmm. Meal prepping is the way to go. If you, by the way, guys, if you don't prep your meals for the week, if you're one of those people that still like makes your lunch every morning, you're wasting a lot of time. It takes the Boy. same amount of effort to make one lunch as it does make five lunches. 
work smarter, not harder. Well, it's, it's cost savings aspect too, right? I mean, you're instead of like scrambling last minute for some fast food or going out or whatever because you just don't have time to make a proper meal. It's like nice to have it done ahead of time, right? Yep. yep. Oh, that's the that's where I was falling in was just run out the door and yeah, whatever. I'll grab a burger or I'll grab a sub or I'll grab something quick. It's not good. It kills the pocketbook and well adds to the waistline, right? So. Yep. Well, as for myself, I just got home after the big stretch. It was the uh, busiest season of the year for me, I guess, at work. So, um, yeah, it's gone for about two weeks straight. I just got back on the second. Um, so, yeah, in the meantime, I made a few deals on CGN, um, bought and sold a few things, Took a, had a, a bunch of those Canada Post delivery slips sitting in my mailbox, which was kind of nice. Uh, so ordered some more reloading components. I started working on another, like, um, it's like a tube shed where they basically have metal tubes and they put, like, a tarp over it, like those Canadian tire things. But uh, one of my local neighbors actually had a spare entire frame for me. So I just took that off of them, and I'm going to go out and buy the tarp here next. Uh, did another little range hobo trip to the uh, the range to pick up some brass. I think I got about, must have been about six, 700 pieces of uh, 308, 30-odd 6, and 9. Wow. Thanks to the uh, thanks to the conservation officer service that was just uh, there doing their target shooting. <laughs> so that was kind of nice of them to leave me that. Um uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so once again, I ran to uh, uh, one of our listeners, Richard, and his sister. So they uh, they said hi. Like I walked in the door, and I think it was the first time it's ever happened to me. For somebody said, "Hey, it's Ian from Canadian Prepper Podcast." Oh, <laughs> so, look at this! Uh, I was like, "Hey," but uh, yeah, so it's kind of neat. And then yeah, I went to Cabela's today and turned in my uh, gift certificate from my mom um, for for a brand new knife. And it's kind of funny because I sent her a picture of it, and it said Gerber on it. And she goes, "Hey, do the people that make baby food make knives?" I was like. Yes, yes, they sure, do. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so you but, can open up a can of baby food. Yeah, so exactly. In case that last minute, you know, kind of have to jam that can open or whatever. Yeah. But I was carrying around an SE5 around the acreage, and it was just way too heavy and way too too much blade for me. So I figured this would be a nice little farm blade for me. So it would be fantastic. Um, today I went to one of my local mentors there, and he taught me how to, to take the bead and uh, tire off a rim and replace it because I had a couple flat tires uh, off my ATV trailer there. So, of course, uh, go there and I'm all thumbs and trying to uh, work the machine properly, which is a big fancy, you know, like those little bead machines and everything else. Never done that since high school. So uh, that was always entertaining and humbling. So thanks for your patience on that one. And that was another thing skill learned today. So that was pretty much it cool. for me. Nice. Well, I, uh, I broke down and acquired a snowblower. Uh, we've been lucky this winter so far, but, uh, the, you know, multiple inches of snow that are coming down right now outside telling me that it's going to be a snowy one. So... I uh, got a snowblower for the first time in my life. I've, I've, uh, it's another another engine I'm going to get to learn how to maintain. Uh, added some more cans to the reserve, stocked up on a few clearance items that were out there, uh, some TP and garbage bags that I found. Um, one of the things that I that was kind of a practical application, um, back just before Christmas, uh, my little guy uh, tossed his cookies all over the back of the car on the way home from dinner, which is why I was not on that podcast on the 22nd on that episode. Um, and so I discovered that I was, I was not adequately prepared for something like that. Uh, so I've added some garbage bags so that we can contain the, uh, contain the soiled things and some cleaning wipes that will not only clean my car, but also per double as personal cleaning wipes, uh, should the need arise. And, uh, in that particular case, I was able to just kind of update him or, take him out of his clothes and put him into uh, like the rain gear that's in my kit, uh, which was comically large, but it's entertaining. <laughs> um, but it certainly makes the car smell. So 
um, it's that's the real that's the real stuff that happens in life, and it's you know it's fun to plan for the uh, plan for the zombies, but that's the stuff that actually happens. So that's how I updated my kit, and that's how I made myself a little bit better prepared for life. If it makes you feel better, actually, I got a snowblower dropped off at my place for a negotiable price to be determined yet. Um, not that we really need it that often here, but when we do, because it hovers above and below freezing so much, you want to get the snow off the driveway as fast as you can. And the driveway is like 200 yards long and, you know, it's hilly. So we thought we'd just, you know, buckle down and get one just because it's other than you get ice over your driveway for the next uh, three or four weeks during the winter. So it's yep. hard, hard to go uphill on ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So it's also harder to stop going downhill on ice too. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> anyway, that's that's all I had to say about that. All right. I uh, spent the week with New Year's having confusing work schedules, preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I feel may have been in poor taste at this point, but I have another two thousand rounds of five five six ammunition that got loaded. Winter nice. time is reloading time, and. Uh, Friend of mine, I guess, had a going on a business sale. He's changing all of his uh, his reloading components. So I bought a bunch of surplus material from him since he's changing his Ipsic load. So I've got uh, six thousand more nine millimeter projectiles and eleven more pounds of tight group to add to my existing stockpile. I now have enough tight group to get me through several several years of pistol competition. That's amazing. <laughs> That's, nice. That's like four or five zombie <laughs> apocalypses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I think I I have almost thirty pounds of pistol powder now. I might need to stop buying pistol powder. <laughs> <laughs> if if my math is correct, that's about seventeen hundred and fifty rounds of nine mil for every tight pound of tight group, right? Somewhere you're around about, there. yeah, roundabout. So you're uh, like you're up for about twenty five thousand rounds there, based on my math. Yeah, yeah. Plus what was already in inventory. So plus the, what was already uh, there. Yeah. yeah, the yeah the reloading room is looking a little bit uh, packed right now. But good, good problem to have. <clears throat> Yeah, it's certainly not upsetting to me to look at it and go, wow, I have enough uh, enough ammunition here for a few years of shooting. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, for me, I had the last two and a half weeks off of work, so I tackled the basement renovation and finally finished that up today. I was able to get the, the gun safe moved back into the house thanks to help from a few friends this afternoon. Uh, we got a new freezer that we put down there for storing all of our meat, um, set up some long-term food storage shelves, uh, got the hydroponic system kind of set up and going. Um, Ooh, so got that all wrapped up. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, along with that, I also did a little maintenance on the truck this past week. Uh, gave it an oil change, spark plugs, wires, distributor cap, uh, new fuel injectors, throttle position sensor. But uh, got all that done now, and unfortunately, got to go back to work tomorrow. So <sighs> back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a good uh, tip here from uh, Melissa in the. Uh, live chat here on youtube uh, just in regards to keeping uh, dog waste bags in the car in case your daughter gets uh, sick that's a good call good option I, uh, yeah yeah I've, I've also added some grocery bags kind of in the in the mesh pockets behind the front seats so that there's they're, they're within easy reach for that exact because uh, uh melissa's right it's it's a it's a good call and something that i wish i had done well yeah. for, the, for the sake of a buck you get about what three or four hundred bags they're just uh, insanely oh, yeah. insanely tightly mm-hmm. packed right and little rolls yeah. there yep that's great it's a good tip that's a good call. How about we move into the uh, main topic of the show? Wait, guys, before we do that. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do this right. That, my friends, is, that, my friends, is my second Guinness of the night. Very nice. Ooh. 
So might get yeah. a little rowdy down in the uh, right hand corner of the screen. <laughs> it might. It might. <laughs> Officially marks Alan's uh, off keto experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a beautiful thing watching that settle. Yep. Anyways, carry on. Oh, yeah. oh that was a nice one. Uh, yeah. So I guess uh, for myself. I guess going to start off with the the why, and then we can get back to. I think we'll start off with Andrew there, but uh, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of found out about the whole brewing your own stuff when I was actually living up the in the Arctic because I was trying to offset my food costs and do some cost savings and less reliance type of thing, and I had a bread maker. Um, so I, I went to, in the town I was living in, which is actually a dry town. There's actually dry towns in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. just like in some counties in the states. Um, and so the town I was in was dry and uh, no alcohol which I didn't really clue in too much because I was always working. But then when I went to go try and make my own bread, I went to go buy some yeast. And it turns out they didn't have any in the store, and I couldn't figure out why. So mm. then I went, I actually had to go to the manager, and he's like, we well, need a permit for it, and <laughs> you need to import it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, of course, I'm only 20, 21 at the time. And I was like, but why? I have no idea. Yeah. So uh, anyways, for reasons, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out they can make their own boost pretty quickly with some good yeast. So um, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, as well as uh, making your own bread, it turns out making your own booze, you can have some cost savings to be had. So, uh, more cost savings, more dollars for preps. So, I think mm-hmm. that's a good reason to talk about it tonight, eh? And the it bread also, helps it, with the hangover. It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it also it also gets it also lets you experiment with things that are um, that are a little bit more off the beaten path. So, it's one thing to be drinking Guinness, which I am right now. It's quite another thing to make your own that you can tweak to exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, as far as like uh, the wise, uh, we talked about the cost savings, but uh, bad, you know, in good times, but bad times, there's always the morale boost aspect, um, yep. pain meds, depending on uh, whether or not you believe that actually works. Uh, it does. Dis- yeah, disinfectant, uh, as far as like splashing the old uh, vodka on the the wound if you had to, I suppose. Uh, yeah. in- income stream in abnormal times, I wouldn't recommend trying to sell it on the side right now. The government wants their tax. They do. Uh, um, small batches of starter fluid. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe the Molotov cocktails if you really got the zombies uh, creating a moat around your house or something. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, and then actually, I, actually, I want to talk to you guys about this one, and you guys tell me what you think of this uh, barter, because a lot of people talk about it on the inter- yeah. interwebs. And my my personal feeling is like, okay, so you're dealing with a person with addiction issues; they're they're scrambling for booze, and they know that you have it. And if you give them maybe even once, then you say no. Then what? Yeah, they know you've got it. Or the ability to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, barter could be a thing, but I'd probably limit it to just like people that I trust. And if they had something else to offer in return, like, you know, besides obviously valuables, like just saying, saying if they have eggs and you have booze or whatever, maybe just like a kind of a, um, an actual trade thing versus a, an income stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah, I'd be I would careful about who I told them I had it. Yeah. Keep it within your, keep it within your group. Yeah. Yeah. But within your group, it's it's the difference between um, the difference between man, this is the worst day of my life, and it's the worst day of my life. But I'm okay to try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we start off with uh, making beer first. Uh, Andrew, you want to take over from this one? For sure. Uh, I've been making beer for about five years now at home in a couple of different styles. Uh, I've never done the extract stuff, but I can speak about it. I've seen it done, and I've helped people that have done it, but it's not my cup of tea. Uh, we went just, directly... That's We're not talking about right? cups of tea, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, we, we, we will be, shortly. Uh, kind of. <laughs> we, we went directly to uh, brew in a bag, uh, all-green 
in a bag on the stove. Hmm. Uh, and from there, we've gone on to five gallon all grain kits on a propane burner in the garage. So I'm not uh, not by any means got the fancy brew house set up, but uh, we do pretty good with the uh, the five gallon all grain kit that I've got going. So that's actually it's not quite the uh, the grocery store beer kit you're talking then. No, uh, a little <laughs> bit more involved, but there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the kit. It's a it, it's certainly a starting place, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the tools once you have them. Uh, like a hydrometer is a hydrometer. It doesn't matter if it's the one that came with the kit or the like the six dollar one that you buy separately. You just need a tool to measure the alcohol content. So the kits are a good a good cheap way to get started and get all the basic equipment together. Yep. Uh, you're gonna need four things to make beer. Well, five things really. The fifth one is patience. But the uh, the things that matter most are hops, grains, yeast, and water. Then the waiting. The waiting is the hardest part. There's a song always drink a beer while you're waiting. Uh, I I drink quite a few beers while I'm making beer <laughs> usually. So I guess um, the the really super high level overview. Hops is a flower used to make beer bitter. We're actually using the the cone, not the actual petals of the flower. But you put the hops in the beer, it acts as a preservative. the uh, The alpha acid content of the hops is what dictates the bitterness of the beer. So different alpha acid amounts will turn out to be different IBUs when you go to actually get figuring out how bitter your beer is. Uh, hops also come in a bunch of different strains, and that changes the flavor of your beer, and you're more than welcome to mix those about. So the trend in the microbrewing industry right now is to make India Pale Ales with as many kinds of hops as possible, because if it doesn't taste like you're licking a forest full of pine trees, it's not hot <laughs> enough. <laughs> and when you see hops growing in the field, that's the stuff that's on like the wood trellises or whatever, right? Is that is that the, what I saw in Ontario? Yep. Uh, we have a bunch in southern Ontario because the climate's good for it. There is some hop production in BC and Quebec. Um, but yeah, it's big 20-foot tall wire trellises. Usually they look like they're held up by sort of small telephone poles. It's a big vine plant. Um, your grain is primarily going to be a barley. There are other grains that get used in beer. Um, so a lot of cream ales and a lot of uh, American-style lagers, you're going to also encounter corn. So all of your big macro brews like Budweiser and Labatt and stuff, you're going to find corn heavily featured in those recipes. You might find other specialty grains, uh, oats or uh, other kinds of maltings. Uh, malting is a, a process where the dried grain, dried and sprouted grain is... Cooked is not really the right word, but they uh, you put it in an oven and you heat it. It's very similar to cooking. So you'll get uh, very light or very dark malted grains as a result. And the different grains, again, contributing to the different flavor profiles, and you can mix and match those to your heart's content. The, uh, the grain is primarily what you're using to extract the sugar that eventually makes the alcohol that makes the beer so very delicious. Mmm, beer. <laughs> Uh, yeast, of course, like Ian, Ian mentioned. I don't know if I'd use your bread yeast, but uh, oh. yeast will will eventually turn uh, sugar into alcohol and also CO2. Uh, yeast is just a simple single-celled fungus. There's a bunch of different strains. You can grow it yourself. You can find it naturally. You can get it from laboratories in either a liquid or a dry form. You can get it in the baking aisle of your supermarket, but I wouldn't strongly suggest using that for making beer. You're going to get a lot of off flavors. But you can mix and match, and the, the type of yeast will determine the type of beer that you get as a result. Oh, no doubt. Like, when I was uh, in the high arctic there, you could tell the guys that either couldn't quite wait for the 28 days to happen, or just decided to, like, 
leave it unfiltered, but it tasted like or it tasted it smelled like boozy bread when they were talking to you. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> I wouldn't say it was the it was probably the best tasting stuff, but it still it did the trick. So well, that's all. I mean, that's all you need. It just you got to convert the sugar into alcohol, and CO two is a byproduct that comes off of that. Yeah. And then the other thing that's uh, super important to this is beer is like ninety six percent water, so you need you need water. Mm. Yep. So, do you do anything special to your water before you uh, start off on this? I don't. I happen to live in hard water country, so I'm actually very lucky for my beer water. The tap water here is really good. The only thing that I do is the same with all of our water that I drink it. It's filtered through the Berkey first, and we have the uh, chlorine and uh, whatever the other filter is on it to take out all the uh, stuff that they put in the water that makes the frickin' frogs gay. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fun fact, Labatt only brews blue in London because of the water. They they refuse to brew it anywhere else because because of the water. Yep. Well, and strangely enough, I think Guinness, they actually uh, pulled out of the same river in Ireland, but the thing is, I don't know if they... (laughs) It's the middle of the city now. I don't know how fresh it would be. They'd have to filter the living daylights of it, I would think. But yep. I, I imagine it would have to get filtered. But the, the water, the, the content of the water is is primarily concerned about the, the mineraliness of the water, the mineral minerality of the water, whether or not you have hard water or not. Um, yeah. And some municipalities, uh, the other additives they put in, like chlorine, chlorine will give beer an off taste, so you want to try and strip mm. that out if you can. It tastes like a swimming but pool. You, yeah, you want yeah. you want moderately hard water and uh, reasonably low to moderate alkalinity if you're measuring the pH of the water. And there's a bunch of stuff you can do with that to change the pH level of your water. Just like maintaining your swimming pool, you can maintain your beer water. But yeah. I happen to live in southern Ontario, and I happen to have relatively hard water, so I don't do anything except filter all the stuff that makes the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> Probably a good thing to do. <laughs> no one, no one wants atrazine. No. Uh, so there's can be two types of home brewing when you get started you can do either extract or you can do all grain um i would strongly recommend either way you start with a kit because the kit is probably going to have all of the components except the water that you need in the quantities that you need them in because it's making beer is basically just following recipes if you can cook if you can bake you can probably make beer as long as you're patient the uh the extract kits are super super simple heat water up put the either liquid or dry extract in the water and mix and then carry on with the brewing if you're doing all grain you have to you have to mash you have to extract the sugars from the grain and then separate the grain from the wort the hot sugary water that you've just made that's also full of bent grain so whether you're doing the uh, the extract or whether you're doing all grain, the process is basically the same. Get the grains ready. Um, if they're not already milled, you have to mill them. And by milling, I mean you have to crush them. The malted grain on its own is not good enough to start with. You have to crush it. Otherwise, you can't extract the enzymes out of the grain. Uh, most, home brewers, most home brewery supplies will either sell you already crushed grain or have a crusher that you can use. Crush your grain when you purchase it. And you should mm, use the grain okay. reasonably fast. Yeah, I wouldn't think you want to have like the freshly crushed stuff so the enzymes wouldn't de- uh, degrade or, or deteriorate at all. Uh, depends on storage in a large way, but yes, generally, um, once you crush the grains, you want to use them as soon as you can before they start to deteriorate. Uh, then you're going to mash, so you're going to get hot water. You're going to bring it up to a certain temperature. You have to do some math and figure out what your strike water temperature is. It's probably something in the neighborhood of like 170 degrees Fahrenheit. And you're going to throw all of your... Uh, your grain in that, whether it's actual grain or whether it's your extract, and that's going to drop your water temperature, and then you're going to leave it be for an hour. 
This is mashing. And you're extracting the enzymes, the sugars from the grain or from the extract. And uh, you end up with wort. Uh, this is a hot, sticky, sweet liquid. It smells like beer, but it doesn't quite taste like beer. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you've tried. Yeah, uh, uh, I regularly drink the wort um, just to check flavor profiles and things. Sure. Because uh, the, the grain dictates a, a big part of the color and flavor of the beer. And then okay. you're going to go into laudering. Uh, laudering is the process of separating the spent grain, the grain that you've mashed, uh, from the wort. Uh, so you can do this in a mashed lauder ton, or you can do it on a lauder ton, or you can do it with a strainer, or if you want to do like brew in a bag to start with, you put everything in what is effectively a big tea bag, and you dunk the big tea bag in the water, and then you lift the tea bag out, and I hope that you had your Wheaties that morning because a couple of pounds of wet grain starts to weigh uh, a lot more. Yeah. It was a couple pounds dry. Now you've added water. So good luck standing there and holding it. I used to do that in the kitchen when we did three-gallon batches with 25 or 30 pounds of grain. Uh, yeah, now, it's heavy. Andrew, when you, when you're, once you're done with that mash, does it have any value afterwards? Like, it can't be reused, can it? Um, some people do use the mash. I turn mine into compost. Um, I know of other people that use theirs as baking additives because it is effectively whole grain. You can make, like, a, you know, if you're making bran muffins, you want even more grain, you use a little bit as a topping. Okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Chickens will eat it, too. <clears throat> that that yeah. wouldn't surprise me. I don't have chickens to feed it to. I Like I say, I compost mine, but um, there's nothing brewing-wise that you can do with it, but I'm sure it does have other residual purposes, animal feed and I've heard of people using it as people feed because there's nothing wrong with it. They put it into their baking. Okay. But yeah. it is a it is going to be a large volume of grain. Uh, if you're doing a five-gallon batch beer, you're probably looking at something like, uh, I don't know, about uh, 10-ish pounds of grain. Yeah. That's that's enough that dry, you... dry pounds. Okay. Hmm. Cool. The, uh, the of amount grain. of grain that you use dictates your alcohol content, so you should, uh, you should reference this in your recipe. The, uh, if you're doing like a a double imperial Russian stout, you know, it's going to be like 18% by alcohol. Um, that's that's going to be something stupid for a five-gallon batch. You're going to be like 40 pounds of grain or something silly. <laughs> <laughs> that's and awesome. part of this has to do with the efficiency of your brew house. Um, just because you used a lot of grain doesn't necessarily mean you, you're going to get a lot of alcohol. It depends on how your, uh, your work production and your lottering process work. Um, inefficient brew houses you lose a lot of the sugar content uh, or you don't actually extract it from the spent grain. So you have to look at how you're dealing with that. Uh, Multi-vessel brewing that I can touch on is probably the right way to do it. Uh, the brew in the bag stuff is not particularly efficient, but it's cheap and easy to get into. Um, the extract stuff is pretty much whatever it says on the package is what you're going to get because there's no real way to screw it up. You're not, the extracting part has already been done. Um, so once you've laudered it, you've separated the wort from the spent grain, you now have to boil it. So set the burner to high, come back in one hour. Beer is basically always done in increments of a hundred or an increment of an hour. It's going to take you an hour to get your water hot enough. It's going to take you an hour to mash. It's going to take you an hour to lauder. Not really, but probably, uh, it's going to take you an hour to boil. Um, during the boil is also when you're going to add your hops. Depending on the recipe, you're going to add hops at different amounts and different intervals during the boil process. Uh, what you're doing is reducing the volume of water and uh, 
getting the beer ready. You're you're making all the sugar available for when you pitch the yeast, which is the next thing that comes up with your uh, right uh, right before you pitch the yeast. The last thing with the boil is going to be whatever you're doing with your hops. You might do some for flavor, some for color, uh, pardon me, some for aroma, depending on if it's flavor or aroma. That dictates on when it goes in during the boil, and then you need to separate the hops out. Um, hops usually comes as pellets, so they take the hop plant, they crush it up, and they give it to you and let. Li- li- Looks like a you know small animal feed, like it's for rabbits or some other small animal, right? Um, when you put it in the water, the pellets explode all over everything, and then you have to separate that out from the from the word again. So whether that's done with a strainer or whether it's done with a hop sock or some other method, uh, then you're going to pitch your yeast. So you have to cool the beer, probably taking it out of the water ton. You're probably putting it into something else, or you're doing like me, and you're putting an immersion chiller into the water ton. And I'm recirculating ice water inside of an immersion chiller to bring the temperature of the beer from a boil to as close to room temperature as I can get it. There's a bunch of different ways to do that. There's a bunch of different kinds of chillers you can do it with. Uh, when we started, I used to just do it in an ice bath in the sink with a three-gallon batch. I just take my stock pot full of beer, dump it in the sink full of ice water. Hmm. Eventually, the temperature comes down the the faster you can cool it the better it's going to be but again it's going to take some time if you're dealing with a large volume of water you have to wait once you get as close to room temperature as you can you pitch the yeast that's the uh technical term for opening the bag and dumping it in the pot you don't throw <laughs> don't throw it from across the room or anything uh, I, I would not. Uh, there's a couple different kinds of yeast. If you're doing dry yeast, you could do a starter the same way as you do a starter for like sourdough uh, bread. Yeah. Um, if you do a starter, you have to keep feeding the yeast and you can keep it alive indefinitely. This is a thing. If you do uh, liquid yeast, you have to store it in the fridge. If you do dry yeast, you can store it. It's shelf stable at room temperature for quite a long time, months to years. I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, from a preparedness perspective, if you're not able to get yeast, if you had your own starter, like a like a sourdough, that'd be interesting, like a steady supply, which could also be uh, something you could sell to somebody, too. Yeah, uh, it would be. And I got a bunch of stuff we can talk about with yeast because you can acquire it naturally. Um, if you already have beer, you actually have enough yeast to make more yeast with and more beer. There's a way to extract um, so the, the beer that you're finishing drinking when you start making the next next batch. There's a way to reactivate the yeast and get more from the old beer because it's not gone. It's just very, uh, very dormant and there's very little of it. But there's a way to bring it back to life and get it to breed. Ah, interesting. Um, so yeah, pitch, pitch your yeast, put it in the, uh, fermentation vessel, uh, whatever that is, if it's a carboy or another pod or a, some other thing. And you want to put an airlock on this to keep natural yeasts out of it. So uh, it's a one way valve that we talked about earlier. Yeast makes sugar into alcohol and CO2. CO2 needs to escape the vessel, otherwise it will explode. That's bad. Then we don't have <laughs> beer, and we have to clean up glass. Makes for entertaining so, uh, learning lesson, too. Uh, an airlock is the way to go. Uh, there's a couple of different styles, but basically it's just like a one-way valve that allows the CO2 to vent off. And this is where your patient comes in. Uh, you're fermenting. Uh, fermentation of beer takes three to four weeks-ish depending on the beer, and then you can do a bunch of other stuff if you're uh, if you're lagering beer. So, like, the type of beer that is called a lager is for a reason. Or if you're doing any sort of other maturation with your beer. But at a bare minimum, you're probably looking at about three weeks. The way that I do it, um, we do a primary and a secondary fermentation. Uh, the majority of the excitement happens during the first week. 
So we do a primary that lasts one week and then we move it to a clean second carboy and we do a secondary fermentation that lasts two weeks and then we go into our bottling phase. Uh, bottling is uh, a highly personal thing for brewers. If you're doing it commercially, you're probably putting it into bottles on an assembly line or on a canning machine and then labeling it and sending it out. If you're home brewing, you're doing either kegging or home bottling. I do home bottling, which means I also do natural carbonation. Kegging is another option where you're going to put it into a special type of refrigerator that holds a keg. Probably not the same size keg as at your local sports bar, but uh, a pony keg or a half keg or a quarter keg or an eighth keg or some other variety of keg. Uh, and you're going to have the keg and a source of CO2 in your device of refrigeration, whether it's a converted fridge or a keg fridge or a converted other thing that holds your keg, and you're using the CO2 to artificially carbonate the beer when it's poured, versus naturally carbonating where you're adding a little bit more sugar and reactivating the yeast at the point where you bottle it, and then you need to let things bottle condition for a little bit because the yeast is alive again, and it's going to turn out more CO2 and a little bit more alcohol, and this is... the point in time where occasionally home brewers will blow up bottles. I'm proud to say I, I've blown up exactly one bottle in my career. Well, I was going to ask you to touch on that too, because there's a certain, I guess, a uh, fine point there where you can bottle too early or you can also like bottle flat beer, but also, yeah, like uh, there has to be a certain point where the alcohols stop being produced. The yeast is turned down and that's the time to bottle, right? So it's, yeah. So I guess that's kind of the, when we're talking about the, the, uh, the fermentation process, the reason that we're waiting that, uh, that three to four week period is for all of the, uh, all of the available sugars from the wort to have been metabolized by the yeast and converted into alcohol and CO2, hopefully. And you'll probably get a bunch of fallout in the, uh, in the carboy or whatever you're fermenting in, in your fermenter. There'll be a layer of gunk that forms on the bottom. This is all. Uh, grain that wasn't properly filtered or leftover pieces of hop that weren't filtered and also the waste products of the yeast. Hmm. So it's you know, dead yeast. Um, when you go to bottle, there's math involved. All of this is all, it's beer, brewing beer is all science. The reason we write down everything we do is because it's science. If we just made it up, it's not. So just like cooking your recipes or anything else, you write down what you do and then it's uh, like official. Uh, there's a way to calculate how many atmospheres worth of CO2 you need to produce to properly carbonate your beer. Assuming you've waited long enough and the initial fermentation, the yeast is all uh, gone dormant, you're going to add a small amount of cane sugar or something similar to your fermented wort, which is just flat beer at this point. It's perfectly acceptable to drink and it has your correct alcohol content and everything else. It just is flat. Um, depending on how much sugar you add at that point when you bottle is going to determine exactly how carbonated your beer ends up, uh, give or take. There's some things that can go wrong with that. You can you can still end up with over or under carbonated beer at that point, but generally uh, five-gallon batch beer, you add something like a half a cup of cane sugar and you're good to go. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's more or less the process. Most of it's waiting around. Um, Obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff involved in this. Cleanliness is next to godliness because you are you are doing science, so everything needs to be disinfected, and there are tools and utilities that you can use to do that with. Um, we use uh, we use acids to clean all of our uh, brewing equipment with, so everything gets cleaned, washed, sanitized. Uh, 
I don't know. Is there particular things you guys wanted to dig deeper into with brewing? I guess maybe just the best way to get started. Like, what would your advice be for somebody that's never done it before? Um, Start small, grab a book, hopefully get a friend that knows what they're doing. Go to your friend's house. It's easier for them to clean up. Um, But I mean, honestly, start small. (laughs) You can do a you can do a one gallon batch on your stove in your kitchen right now without really much in the way of fancy equipment. You probably have a big stock pot that you use once a year to make like a, a big thing of gravy or big thing of potatoes in. If you can do a gallon of water in it, you're, you're you, it's big enough. You've got a big enough pot. Um, the homebrew kits are not bad. There's a bunch. Of, you can get them on Amazon. Chapters sells them from time to time. Um, the kits are not bad. The kits are not amazing. But the thing with the kits is it comes with a recipe. It comes with all the stuff already in the correct proportion. So you don't have to mess with recipes that you don't know. It'd be like if I asked you to make beer from scratch, it'd be like asking you to make muffins without ever having made muffins before. You wouldn't know where to even mm-hmm. start. Yeah, so get, get a kit. Yeah, get a kit and do something easy. This is not the time to do the Russian double imperial stout that's going to be 28% <laughs> when you're all done. Do, oh, do something that doesn't fun. require a lot of specialty grains. Like a, Do like a, a pale ale or a, like a something that's equivalent to like a macro lagered you're like do a knockoff of a Budweiser, something that's it's going to be easy to drink and it's probably going to be like hay or straw colored and it's got a nice white head and it isn't really bitter and it isn't really hoppy and it isn't anything crazy. Because the worst thing is to jump into this and be like, I'm going to add eight kinds of hops and it, it just it just tastes like licking a pine tree. You don't know what you're drinking anymore. <laughs> so something small and simple to start with. Um, you you probably know what you like to drink better than I could suggest. So brew something in the style that you like drinking. If you like Belgian style Trappist ales, do one of those, but they're not going to be super straightforward. If you're like a, a Alexander Keith kind of a guy, do one of those. Super easy. There's not much to it. It's an IPA. Um, if you can do the little kits, the little one gallon kits, they probably have everything in them you need. Uh, the other thing is to move up to a bigger system like a brew in the bag, which again you can do in your kitchen. You do a one to three gallon batch. Cleanup's pretty easy. You don't need a lot beyond what you already have. You're gonna need a carboy, you're gonna need a thermometer. Get one of the little starter kits. Um online is probably the best place to go. Your local, depending on where you live, they likely have a you brew, make your own wine here, brewery supply kind of a store. They're not Super common, but I mean, every moderate to large size town in Ontario is likely to have one. If oh, they yeah. have the, uh, if they have the kits, go there, see what they recommend, see what they've been successful with. Uh, even better if they've got a place where you can go and do a class kind of a thing where if you show up, you use their equipment, you come back in a month, you bottle your beer, you go home and you drink it. Cause it's, it's all on them that way. Very yeah. low investment. Oh, it's even huger around here. Like I've been in an unincorporated town and, in the, the the local town square, for lack of a better term, they even have like a U brew place. So it's uh, it's uh, pretty easy to find the the yeast and all the other supplies you need, like the carboys, which are the giant oversized vats with the the little bottleneck top. You can put your uh, airlocks on. Uh, supplies are pretty easy to find. Also, garage sales. I was going to mention on that. Uh, a lot of garage times. sales in Kijiji. Yeah, we bought a bunch of stuff from people that used to make wine and don't anymore. Uh, just because like the glass carboys are expensive to buy, but somebody that's getting out of making wine will have a, sh- a boatload of them. Oh it's yeah, cheap. and those wine corkers, yeah, you'll spend like eighty bucks on a wine corker new, but you can get one off Kijiji for fifteen bucks or something like that. So like, and that's 
some big equipment if you're going to build uh, hard alcohol or wine or anything else too, right? Yeah, and most of the stuff is applicable across the board. Like the uh, the carboy is going to work just as good for wine as it does for beer as it does for mead. The thermometer is the same across the board. You're going to need a thermometer to check your water temperatures. It doesn't really matter what you're putting in your water. Your hydrometer is going to tell you how much alcohol is supposed to end up in this when it's all said and done, regardless of whether you're making beer or wine or spirits or mead. It's all... The tools are pretty well universal across the board. Um, I My big discouragement is don't go out and buy like the industrial 10-gallon, four-vessel sculpture that comes on a pallet with the robot and the Android <laughs> controller that does it all for... It's like $10,000 later and you've made a batch of beer. Yeah. Pretty it's expensive exactly, beer. Not exactly <laughs> EP-proof either, so... <laughs> no, I, would, uh, I would start with something small like that. Get a kit and try it and see if it's up your alley. It's the same thing as, like, starting out baking, going get the thing where you have to add water and eggs and maybe milk and then see if it's a thing that you can live with before you start going into making all the flour from scratch. Can you use the same techniques to make anything else? Yeah, actually, I was going to touch on that. You talked about, like, you know, wine and meat and beer and liquor, but, like, could you... Can this be applied to... Well, it's basically the same thing. Go ahead, Andrew, if you want. Yeah, no, um, I mean, making alcohol is really like employing yeast. You take sugar in some sort of a wet environment and you turn it into something you can drink that's full of alcohol. And yeast is the uh, yeast is the trick to that. Uh, mead is the thing that's closest to beer. The brewing process is almost identical. The only difference is you're not uh, you're not doing a mash. You're just adding honey to hot water. The rest yeah. of the process is basically the same. I think mead is actually the one thing I've tried personally and failed miserably because I didn't know what I was doing. But um, I guess with mead, because the honey is so naturally antibiotic, it has a problem with yeast. So you, you have to add a little bit extra food for the yeast in the form of raisins, uh, not just sugar, but actually something they can lat latch onto, which is where I failed. Um, I ended up having a really flat kind of yeasty tasting mead. It didn't work so well. <laughs> but that was back when I still had my honey uh, honeybees. So it was... Um, it was an effort. I think when I'm retired, I'll probably get back into it more of a full-time hobby. But yeah, after having kids, yeah. you know, booze will be a good thing. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> um, so yeah, one thing we should touch on here: it's not illegal to uh, make your own booze in Canada. Um, I know certain no, counties you know in this is illegal selling it. Selling it because yeah. <laughs> you failed to pay the excise tax. Yeah, mm -hmm. if the government doesn't get their cut, they don't like that at all. So I think, Tyler, you can probably correct me on this one, but I'm sure there's a lot of counties in the States where you're still not allowed to make your own. Uh, I'm not sure about beer. I know higher content alcohols, moonshine, that kind of stuff uh, is pretty much illegal across the board, but I'm not too confident in beer. I haven't had much experience in any of this stuff. So, Yeah, I so I mean, definitely... well, pretty much all of Canada, you can make your own hard alcohol and there's no problem as long as you don't sell it. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, personal consumption, go ahead. So I've actually talked to a few coworkers about what they've all used to make their hard alcohol. And we talked about honey, uh, but I have a bottle of blackberry wine given to me by one of the other local preppers, actually, uh, for the local blackberries right behind the house here. Um, but you can use everything from potatoes, like the Russian style vodka. You can use corn mash, uh, as in Jack Daniels, uh, uh American corn liquor. <laughs> uh, some Alberta rye, you know, you can always use the actual. There you go. To, yeah, there you go to make uh, some some old rye whiskey. Rice to make sake, uh, which is a glorified wine, basically. Um, my brother-in-law does that. He actually uses rice, raisins, and a couple of little key ingredients, and does the carboy thing and makes his own wine uh, with just uh, spent rice that's been sitting around for too long. So that's uh, for those of you with uh, rice storage. 
in five gallon buckets with mylar bags and stuff. If it's getting too old for your liking, hey, there's a good use for it. You saying the people yeah, listening to the podcast might have that? Yeah, might some <laughs> some might have that in five gallon mylar sealed oxygen absorbing bags. But anyway, um, the other thing, one of my coworkers actually mentioned the other day, they use horse feed, which sounds funny, oh. but it's, it's basically just corn, oats, and barley is all it is. Uh, so it's called cob, and they make their own moonshine out of it, and they say it's delicious because it's like molassesy. It has like a very molassesy oh. smell and texture to it. Um, so then it turns out almost like an, I guess for lack of a better term, like a more of a rum style. But it's it's, yeah, they said it's very very good. Uh, they told me I'd, I'd be free to have some if I ever got to their place over in Vancouver, but I haven't yet. So. But um, yeah, so all of them basically, like Andrew said, re- require some sort of sugar, yeast, and thyme. Uh, rice and mead, as I said, you need something else to feed on, like raisins, which would be a good thing. Um, yeah, I, for mead, I would strongly recommend making a, a type of mead that is not mead. Make it, make it honey and something. Yeah. So if you do, uh, I, it's got a proper name. I, I want to say it's sizer, but I don't think that's maybe the right word for it. But put something else in, so like do a peach mead. Or do a strawberry mead, or basically put any other kind of fruit in with the honey. Yeah, because uh, pears and apples, for example, on the skin, as long as you don't wash the skin and it's not covered with pesticide, um, it actually has naturally curing yeast. That it's called a bloom, just like uh, even chicken eggs have a bloom on them. Um, but yeah, you can use the natural yeast on pears and apples to make your own cider uh, without having to go and source your own yeast. Um, so yeah, if you're going to do that with a, a sake, that's a thing to do. Um, but whenever I want yeast to use, it's going to create alcohol content, uh, with hard alcohol, unlike beer, beer doesn't get high enough to do it, but the higher the alcohol content gets in the hard alcohol, the faster it's going to kill off the yeast bacteria. So end up having to do this like vicious cycle where you have to add more yeast and more sugar and to get the alcohol content the way you like it before it finally kills them all off. Um, so it's a bit of a, a battle thing. It's a personal, how do you describe it? Personal technique. I was told. I haven't done this myself, so I just, I'm just all going by what people have told me so far. But basically, uh, general rule, more sugar, higher boost percentage. Pretty yeah, straightforward. That's, I mean, that's basically how it works. The yeah. exception to that is maybe for distilled spirits. Yeah, so I, well, next line. There you go. So, oh. Yeah, so with a lot of stuff, like uh, you're going to be making the same thing. You're going to make a mash. You're going to want to heat it up and uh, let it sit for a while. But then the time comes where you have to actually extract the alcohol from the mash. Well, you're not making a... Um, a just a direct liquid per se you're actually like getting the liquid strained out then you got to boil it again and now you're going to take that evaporated vapor off that liquid and run it through a still which is that's where you see the coiled tubes and basically there is something at the beginning and the end of the fermentation process when you distill it that's called the heads and tails and that's basically producing ethyl or wood alcohol and that's the stuff that makes you go blind so if you're making moonshine basically and you're evaporating basically a pot of stuff that you want to distill you want to make sure you throw it the first couple ounces and the last couple ounces of what you're making because it's basically going to be the stuff that makes everything rude. So that's just a, a heads up. Might want to do some more investigation before you make your own booze on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I keep putting on the list of things I want to try is home distilling. Yeah. That's, that's a little it's, more involved. Well, I have some friends that do it. And again, like you can do it in your kitchen with a small still and it's not significantly different from what I'm already doing with making beer. Yeah. So I'd, yeah. I'd very much like to get on the home distillation train because there's a bunch of stuff that I can do with beer that's great, like drink it, but I can't do anything super cool with it like run my truck, which if truck. I made ever clear, I probably could. Yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned there, Andrew, too, is like stopping the fermentation at a certain point to, um, 
you can retain sweetness in certain, you know, ciders, alcohol, beer. If you want to have a sweeter texture or sweeter notes to it, you can actually uh, uh, cut off the sugar content and uh, add it the last minute before you bottle. Uh, that'll mm-hmm. maintain a little sweeter. Yeah, back part. sweetening. Yeah. Um, yeah. The we, other thing we I didn't just talk go- about cider at all. We should we should touch on cider. Yeah, go for it. Uh, okay, so that's where <laughs> we we turn uh, we turn apples into alcohol. So just like your regular cider, um, it needs to be unpasteurized for this to work. So the the cider you're buying at the uh, the local grocery store, you're not going to be able to turn into hard cider. But the cider that you might buy from your local uh, agricultural community, you may be able to get unpasteurized and just let it sit. Or the local hippie hippies uh, hippie store where they got the 100% organic unpasteurized stuff. You can usually get that in certain yeah, certain can- provinces. In some places, you can turn that into alcohol rather quickly. So the uh, the only difference with uh, with hard cider versus regular cider, the process is the same. Take uh, take apples and extract all the juices out of them. With hard cider, you add yeast and you wait patiently, and you let the yeast make alcohol for you. Well, and too, if you're in a colder climate, the colder parts of Canada where they don't really have apple trees, but they might have some pear trees, like some uh, some bitter pears or crab apples, you can also make uh, what they call a perry, which is a pear cider. That's just uh, another thing you can use. I also like pear cider, so I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, I got nothing. Oh, sorry. oh okay. <laughs> so yeah, once you have the hard alcohol, uh, one thing Colin from last week wanted to mention uh, tinctures. Uh, another use for uh, hard alcohol. If you don't have, uh, or if you don't want to use apple cider vinegar or vegetable glycerin, you can use alcohol that's eighty proof, which uh, proof means like basically double or half the number. That's what you get your percentage of alcohol. So if alcohol is eighty proof, it's forty percent alcohol. Uh, if you use eighty proof for higher alcohol, you can actually make uh, tinctures, which is uh, a way to get, you know, would be. Uh, medicinal purposes or herbs or anything else uh, extracts into your body it's one way to do it with a happy ending so to speak for the booze mm-hmm. um so basically yeah you take the alcohol stuff a bunch of herbs in it uh let it sit or what they call macerate for a month or so uh you can strain it out throw the uh, the herbs back to the chickens or the compost heap and then uh you've got what you call a tincture so if you uh there's some here like some plants behind the house that you can use for antibiotic purposes or uh, health benefits like if you want to have some sort of additives for your life uh we call it like supplements that's one way to do it uh and the nice thing about apple or using a booze is apple cider vinegar if you use for a tincture it's only good for a year and booze it's pretty much good forever so <clears throat> yeah we've played around with tinctures a little bit uh that for people struggling with illnesses and things or a lot of them are good for anti-inflammatory and and other other diseases like that um but they're very easy to make uh, yeah like you said you just add it uh into a jar and let it sit for a month or so and, and it's done um pretty much no effort yeah i think colin was mentioning that he's got a uh, cbd oil uh tincture he's been working on so he, mm-hmm. he said he's going to put a video together and actually post it up on the uh the page for us so i oh, yeah. need to watch yeah anybody else um, I guess alcohol also just, uh, I guess I'm not sure exactly how concentrated it needs to be or high, how high a proof or how high a percentage it needs to be, but it's a, a good cleaner, good disinfectant, also works good for bug spray, things like that. Um, just trying to think of some other uses for, for alcohol. Bug spray? Bug spray, yep. Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. yep. Oh. It's kind of hey, a waste of booze. Have you, but... ever had a, <laughs> have you ever had a drunk mosquito try to bite you? 
<laughs> I think it, it has to do with the scent. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I never thought about that. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we got it. Nothing. Unless you want to get super, super autistic about a particular function of, of brewing. Well, we, we can just leave it open to questions later on, and then we can always come back to it too. Because yeah. that's uh, that's one of those things where you go down a rabbit hole and spend three or four hours. But we managed to kill an hour talking about it already. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the yeah. last thing I had questions on with the beer making is: Do you need to refrigerate that after you're done, or and as far as going through the process, it doesn't seem like there's really anything that requires electricity besides maybe boiling water. But obviously, a fire would do that. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, your boil, definitely. Um, I would strongly recommend you do it on propane or liquid natural gas because that's going to be a much better BTU output than electrical. Mm -hmm. You could definitely, like, I did it on an electric, uh, on, wow, on an electric stove for years. Okay. And it was fine. Um, when it comes to the, uh, the fermentation process, temperature control is very important, but temperature control is like, at or slightly below room temperature is good, so find a cool room in your house. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to do anything beyond that. It doesn't need to be. It it should not be in a warm room, and it should be out of direct sunlight. So if you have a uh, a cool, dry room like a uh, a cellar or a place where you keep uh, canned goods or anything like that, uh, right around twenty one degrees is kind of ideal for most yeast. Every yeast is a little bit different, but like right around there. And then if you're going to logger, you want that uh, to be just uh, just above freezing, like as close to freezing as you can get if you're going to logger. Okay. Um, loggering is uh, effectively the same as same process as cellaring with wine. You're going to you're going to leave it in a cold, dark place for months and it's going to uh, change the, the flavor profile and a bunch of yeast is going to fall off and you're going to get better clarity and a bunch of other things happen. But uh, lagering takes a lot of time, and it has to be very cold. So possibly electricity for that. You may need a, a refrigerated space to get it that cold, depending on your climate. Um, once you're bottled, bottles are shelf-stable, just like any other canned good. Um, the shelf life on beer is probably a couple of months. It's going to be a little bit variable, depending on your environment. But, like, cool and dry is good. Cold and dry is better. Uh, I refrigerate mine... A day before I want to drink it. The rest of the time it just sits in the cellar or sits in the spare bedroom. Okay. Because the spare bedroom is close to the kitchen. That makes it a short trip for me to fill up the fridge. <laughs> and, and beer does go bad, we discovered. We actually had some snow oh, yeah. in the shed here, and it's just like, oh, oh, what happened there? And yeah. yeah just... the, the biggest thing with beer going bad, I find, is actually swings in temperature. If you keep it cool, it tends to last for a long time. Like, I'm I'm currently drinking uh, a red ale that I made in the summer that's just been kept in the spare room because I forgot there was a case of beer there. So <laughs> it's like coming up on five or six months and it's good as the day that it was bottled. Okay. Huh. But nice. the big thing is avoiding the uh, the temperature swings, uh, warmth, and direct sunlight. Direct sunlight will cause things to break down. Okay. We'll have to get uh, Blizzard FPV there from the commentary. If he wants to uh, throw in a little uh, feedback on how he makes his mead, we'd love to hear about it because that's... Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see where I went horribly wrong. I have a feeling I know, but anyway. <laughs> Steal somebody else's recipe, see if it works better. Yeah. That's actually kind of funny because it used to be like mead was a cheap alternative, but now, I mean, with the price of honey the way it is, unless you're making your own, man, that's that's some pricey bottles you're, you're making. Mm -hmm. 
Well, shall we move into the podcast challenge? Yeah, I guess so. So uh, I just for the podcast challenge, it was something kind of quick and easy. Uh, try making a you brew beer for fun or uh, booze with whatever you may have handy. My uh, idea like floated earlier is if you had some uh, old rice and uh, sit in five gallon buckets, you're not 100 percent sure it's going to have the nutritional value it used to. Maybe try uh, making a sake. It's uh, good hot and cold. Um, cost savings over regular beer is to be had there for sure from under the cost savings banner. And uh, make sure you check your quality control often because, like Andrew said, it's it's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, the, the quality control pro- uh, sterilization is everything. Yeah, keep keep everything clean. If if you think it's clean, it's not clean it again. Sanitize it some more. It can't be too clean. Good, uh, good to know. Let's move into uh, episode closing. So we've got some uh, upcoming events. All right, so we got the uh, Podcaster Charity Shoot, uh, hosted by Slamfire Radio, uh, on July 4th, 2020 in Balmoral, New Brunswick, which is the Rest of Goose Gun Club. It's going to offer a Stop the Bleed course featuring Gavin from Patriot Podcast, and the uh, charity is still waiting on that to be announced. We've got uh, the annual Preppers Meets coming up the uh, second week of July in Desboro, Ontario. Uh, always a good time. Usually runs uh, Thursday through to Sunday. Uh, all kinds of speakers, all kinds of topics, uh, campings available. Uh, and yeah, it's just a great, uh, great weekend to get out and uh, meet some like-minded people and learn some new skills. And uh, Andrew, you got TACOM? TACOM Canada 2020, September 11th to 13th. The Canadian Pro Gun Podcast. Wow, beer. The Canadian <laughs> Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance at TACOM 2020. Your favorite podcasters is will be on hand throughout the show. So make sure that this, this is the approved ad copy, right? Yes, this is. <laughs> it is. I think I did the yes. Don't worry. So make sure you stop by the booth to meet your favorites and pick up some swag or drop by while we do our special live broadcast where we'll be taking, we'll, we'll be taking, we'll be talking to event organizers, guest speakers and vendors about all of their new and must have product. You can see details for show at tacomcanada.com and stay tuned for ticket release details. That's going to be a good time. I think we've lost Alan for the day. Uh, yeah, he had a few too many Guinness, I think. <laughs> fell, <laughs> fell off to the right of the screen there and disappeared. All right. uh, so, yeah, we'll go into some shout-outs. So, uh, just a quick shout-out um, to my wife. Uh, she's watching the little guy here while I'm podcasting, so I appreciate uh, let, her letting me... Uh, Escape the, uh, the screaming little wonder for an hour or so while, uh, while we do the show. It's much appreciated. All right. I've got uh, one to our sole listener in Indonesia. I was actually going through our uh, Chartables uh, page yep. there, and I was trying to figure out how we got uh, one listener in Indonesia. So if you're listening, please tell us how you found out about the show. I'd love to hear. <laughs> VPN access. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly. you, beat, you beat me to it. Ah, dang. <laughs> Here I was hoping we really had some Indonesians listening. Um, also, a uh, shout out to Random Dave for the uh, Slamfire Radio swag. I'm actually sporting it tonight because uh, I figured he gave it to me. So, yeah. Actually, I had this uh, boomstick on loan since July, since the last podcast for Charity Shooter. We kind of made the rounds. Uh, there's a review on the Hunting Gear Guys uh, YouTube channel with a Ruger PC carbine. That's mine. And uh, Random Dave got it to swing it and a few other guys and <laughs> finally made my way back to me. So, um, yeah. In- included was a bunch of swag. So it was kind of nice to see. Nice. All right. So we've got uh, one email here. It comes into us from uh, Chris A. 
uh, says, uh, hey folks, uh, my name is Chris A. I really uh, enjoyed the show. I uh, just wanted to add a tip for my car kit. Uh, I have uh, what I guess you would call a bug out bag uh, always in my vehicle, but the one thing I do differently is that I carry a second bag, kind of like an EDC bag, but bigger. Uh, in that I carry the extra clothes I need for uh, for the weather. So uh, the winter I carry a cold winter kit, uh, so water snacks, coat, gloves, uh, the coat is a shell uh, as I dress in layers. And summer, I carry my summer kit, so uh, extra water and snacks. I, I always carry my uh, first aid kit with a tourniquet and flashlight and a uh, bright orange vest. Uh, not reflective, but packs away easy. Uh, another thing I do is uh, in my house, I use a glow, uh, glow-in-the-dark tape along the stairs and the doors. It works for when the lights go out uh, and for a nice, uh, nice so I don't stub my toes or, or kick the fan in the room anymore like I used to. Uh, always figured I would share those quick, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyways, I figured I would share those quick tips for anyone interested. Uh, something else I've been doing is a presentation for the kids in school, uh, that my kids go to see, uh, to raise awareness with the outdoors. Uh, I've also been working on a small kit that I can give to them to help if they uh, become lost or help them survive the night. Uh, the kit will include uh, two glow sticks, a space blanket, whistle, and a case for it all. I've had a few setbacks as I'm trying to source all the parts locally, but uh, keeping it cost effective. Uh, any tips, that would be awesome. Uh, thanks for the awesome show. Look forward to the next show. Uh, I might know a company that has those things. Just saying. <laughs> might, it might be uh, it might be Rapid Survival. So It may very uh, well be. Yeah, just possibly, yeah. I, I flipped them an email still. Uh, I haven't heard back, but uh, Chris, if you're listening, if you want to email me back, I can probably find uh, the, uh, the items that you're looking for at uh, a reasonable cost. So and yeah uh, yeah he finishes off with just uh, have a great day and uh and he signs it off chris a so appreciate the email cool i guess that's pretty much it and yeah i'm just gonna pull up the reviews and see what we've got as you would think i would get this repaired ahead of time all right so we are right now we're at uh, 39 five stars we've got uh four three stars three uh no we're two three stars and uh, we still got the one little guy at one star but uh that's all right nothing wrong with having one one star <laughs> and, uh, yeah nothing uh, nothing new written wise uh review wise on uh, on itunes so and uh, with that, I'll bring episode number 49 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes and submit a review. Uh, it helps other people find us. You can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca and, of course, on Facebook. All right. Well, I'll take uh, Alan's part there. We record these uh, shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to early peek at the shows, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab gives you alerts when we're going live. We can also be found on our Facebook page, which is Canadian Prepper Podcast. Yeah, and if you got any questions or advice for me, uh, you can email into the show at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Andrew? Uh, you can contact me at ragnaroctacle.ca. There you should buy all of your firearms accessories and first aid supplies. Have you got the uh, barrels back on the uh, site yet? No, uh, barrels aren't on the site because I do not want to tempt the Shopify gods with shutting me down until we're moved over to the new commerce platform. Yeah. But can IBI barrels be found somehow? IBI somewhere? barrels are definitely available if you get in touch with me. And my shipping rate is better than IBI's. Ah. All right. You can reach uh, Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. 
You can also find me uh, tagging along with Andrew on Canadian Patriot Podcast, which is also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing more government waste, squirreling off on the constant firearms banter nowadays, and exposing <laughs> the uh, daily loss of freedoms we're facing, sadly. Okay, spoiler alert for tomorrow. Guns? It's not entirely gun content. <laughs> Come on. It's also waste, fraud, and abuse. Oh, okay. Well, well there, there you go. go. <laughs> it's like back to normal again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so please uh, check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat uh, while you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us. You can tune in next episode. We're going to be covering off uh, long-term storage of firearms, <laughs> bottom of the lake, and uh, valuables. Uh, so until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>